All right. And uh, and so for today, we have um, a guy I've been watching on YouTube for a while named Lunch Break Heroes. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, everybody. This is Steve from Lunch Break Heroes. As has already been stated, it's fantastic to be here. Yeah, thank you for being on. Um, we, you know, I, I think I, I talked to him about this before we started recording, but uh, in the other video with uh, with Duke Sloth, you know, I mentioned we had a, we had an issue with time zone problems, and same thing happened. I I don't know time, is what I've 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 found out about myself. It's rather wibbly wobbly, I've heard. Yeah, it really is. Um, but so so tell us about a little bit about what you do first, um, just for the for the people at home. Well, I make videos on YouTube. Um, we sent around Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I started Lunch Break Heroes uh, on my lunch break, actually, at my day job. So I would sit in my office and I would record these videos on my, my little Pixel phone and I would upload them to YouTube. And eventually, you know, got a bit of a viewership going and settled into sort of a, a content niche, if you will. Mm -hmm. And here we are a couple of years on, uh, closing in on three years this December. And, you know, things are going fantastic and no sign of slowing down. Yeah, I saw your, um, I mean, your stuff, especially your Strahd stuff's picking up. Um, and, you know, because it's like, I, Curse of Strahd's the first campaign I ever ran. Uh, well, it was the you know I I had done some like shorter stuff before, but I had never done like a full campaign, and I was still pretty new to DMing. Um, and for your first, Curse of Strahd is not a a, a very uh, first DM friendly campaign. It's really not. <laughs> it's a uh, but you know because I'm a big Castlevania fan, and I think we were uh, messaging each other before. You mentioned you were going to be watching the new season when it comes out. Oh yeah, that's oh. totally my plan on the thirteenth and the fourteenth. I actually I'm, I've started rewatching it. Me too, right? I'm so excited. Uh, I love it so much. The show is amazing. Um, did you ever play any of the games when you were younger? I most certainly did, actually. Um, you know, and this is a weird thing that I've I've come to grips with as an adult. And my parents were huge gamers. Oh, I didn't cool. quite realize that as a child, however. But my mom played the heck out of Castlevania, uh, just the originals. And then number two, where Alucard was first introduced, which is actually the game that the series is based off mm -hmm. of. Um, she played those and was insanely good at them. And I've, I'm terrible at video games. Mm -hmm. I've, I've come to grips with that as well over the That's years. That's why you play D&D. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I suck at video games. Gotcha. Yeah, I think um, I, I played... Uh... The one right before um, Symphony of the Night, the one where you play as Richter. I I wish I could tell you which one that was, but I have no idea. I remember uh, I was I was terrible at it because I was so young when I played that, and it was at a friend's house. Um, I thought it was really dumb that your character uses a whip, um, but uh, you know I, I thought it was. I mean, uh, it was. Yeah, I was my my parents were they were religious. They raised me, and you know, I I went to church and everything. And I was like, oh my god, I'm I'm using Jesus to kill vampires. This is you know, this is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I thought it was. I thought the um, the ideas behind it were really good. I think the game today uh, is a bit rough at certain points, especially the older ones. But hey, they are almost twenty. I think. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, they go back to that Nintendo hard era yes. back when, you know, games were meant to chew up quarters more than they were to entertain. Mm-hmm. Um, but so wait, so most of your content on your channel is related to curse of Strahd. Is it safe to assume that's your favorite uh, D and D module? Uh, that is a pretty safe assumption. Um, and it's more based around the fact that that's, that's where the audience is. Mm -hmm. And it was just a really happy coincidence. Um, so my group got finished with lost mine of Fandelver and they, they got to the end and then they made some very terrible decisions, um, and TPK against the final boss. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I and that's that's actually um. Well, sorry to interrupt you, but that, that's really interesting because that was what happened with my group was we just run Lost Minds of Fandelver, and then I took it to Curse of Strahd afterwards. But that's really interesting. Yeah, so um, yeah, they decided to Leroy Jenkins the whole ending, and mm-hmm. it didn't work out for them. But then I, you know, I pulled my group. I'm like, all right, what do you guys want to play next? And I gave them some choices of just themes. I didn't give them the names. I'm like, okay, do you want high fantasy? Do you want low fantasy? Do you want gothic horror? And they chose Gothic Horror almost unanimously. And so we started running Curse of Strahd and I began researching it and all of that. So I ran across all the other guides and whatnot on Reddit, Dragnacarta, Mandy Mod, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at that point, even their guides were still in somewhat of a fledgling state. Um, and I was also, I was, I was making videos about Lost Mine of Fandelver at the same time there. So it was a natural progression for me to go into making Curse of Strahd videos. And, you know, it was, it was luck. It was serendipity mm-hmm. to fall into creating content for a module that has such a wide and very supportive community. Oh, yeah. That's um, the... Because, you know, like, like I said, I was, I was a pretty new DM when I did it. And I was so uh, surprised that the, the community for it was so big. And not only that, but they were so... <laughs> nice and welcoming especially on discord um because i i forget what it was but um i think it was i i got to the witches the at the at the 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 windmill Mm -hmm. night the night hags and um i i (laughs) to to speak to how um curse of strata is i think it's 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 uh quite unbalanced at certain points but i think that's on purpose to give the oh very much intentionally so exactly right And, and so essentially what happens um for the people at home is your characters are, are pretty low level when they leave the, the first part of Barovia, which is the land it takes place in. And in the, uh, and one of the first things they do is they, they go through this thing called death house and it's just a basically gets your characters level one to three. And within the house, they find a deed to a windmill. Now, when they go to the next part of, of the game, which is uh, they go to this town called Velaki. on their way there, they see a windmill and it doesn't, it's not hard to put two and two together and say, this is the deed to this windmill. So they go and check it out and read as written. I think it's pretty easy to uh, put together that the women living in this windmill are eating children or are using children to make, you know, pie. And so your characters, you know, assuming they're the heroic type are going to try and fight them. Thing is these witches are like for a level party of like level five adventurers. And so and even then they're pretty challenging if, for real. It's especially because there's, there's three of them and that's just, yeah. it's crazy. And your characters, you can, 
you can yeah. you can try to get them there at like level four. You can give them right. a level of it somewhere. And, and and again, for those folks at home, you, when you have one or two hags, it's not not a big deal. I mean, it's still kind of a challenge, but it's not a big deal. But when you get three hags together, they form a coven. Yeah. And it's it's basically like Voltron. Okay. <laughs> you know, they get together and it's their powers combined, and they're gonna kick your butt. And to mention, one of them has a pot of ichor that can summon smaller monsters and your thing just gets filled. Um, and so that was, it was reading that and understanding how totally boned my players were going to be that I looked up how to deal with that and I found your videos. And Very um, cool. I think, because they hadn't met um, Morgantha yet. So, uh, or no, no, they had... But you were the one, it was your video that was like, when they get to the windmill, don't describe them it being dirty and there being bones and stuff everywhere. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. it's totally immaculate downstairs. And um, so, yeah, I was like, whoa, this is, and then I saw you had a bunch of videos on it. And I was like, oh, this is really cool stuff. And it was, it was super, super like helpful. And I do appreciate that. So thank you very much. Yeah, not a problem. Pleasure um, to be of help. So, so what is it about Curse of Straw? Do you think that really made it um, stand out to you and makes it your your favorite? Um, well, you know, overall, um, horror and gothic horror is just—it's kind of my jam. I've always enjoyed horror and vampires and werewolves and stuff like that. Even as a small child, um, maybe you know, eight or nine years old, I was going to the public library and getting these books on werewolf lore. Hmm. Um, so, you know, I've always had this fascination with the dark, the creepy, the mon the things that go bump in the night. Um, and to have an entire Dungeons and Dragons campaign centered around those themes is great. In addition to that, Strahd, um, Curse of Strahd, has some of the deepest themes of any yeah. other Dungeons and Dragons module. Because, I mean, it touches on, these are all dark themes, by the way, but it touches on, you know, suicide, abuse, mm -hmm. loss, um, just this really heavy stuff yeah. that you're not going to find in Lost Mind of Fandelver or Storm King's Thunder or any high fantasy, unless, of course, you put it in there yourself. Yeah. I think that's um th that's the the coolest part about Curse of Strahd is that you get to play Strahd as his own character or you, or you get to be him essentially. Yeah. Um, because he's he's basically omnipotent in this land because it's it's he's created it. So it's because I I played it with I'm deeming it for two groups. I finished one group and I'm I'm with the second one, and it's crazy to see how they um sort of just at one point it kind of clicks to them. They're like, look, anything we do there's a pretty good chance he's going to know we're doing it. Yeah. And it's, it's really cool. But I also like the fact that Strahd, he's not just, he's not going to kill them. He's not going to kill the adventurers because if he does, you know, to me at least, it means that um, they're a threat. They could be a threat to him. And if they're a threat to him, it means he was naive enough or um, ignorant enough to let them in. So he, he, his goal isn't to kill them. It's to break them into submission. So where they won't mm -hmm. do anything. Right, and, and then kill them. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Um, and out of you know, like mercy or you know whatever. When he's when he's done, but it's uh, it, it's it's cool to do that. But it it's a double edged sword, right? Because you do that as Strahd, and you kind of sometimes it works, and your players are like, oh, should we just give up now? 
I ran into that with um with the with the with my second group that I was playing, and I was like, oh, maybe I should tone it down a little bit. Yeah, there's there's it's definitely a balancing act when you're running the game, um, because you know you as a the DM, you're God basically. You can mm-hmm. do anything you want, and then you're given this character of Strahd, and you're given license to basically screw with your party. Because, you know, Strahd can be anywhere within the land. He travels. He's not this, this entity that sits in his lair brooding. Um, he moves around. He's a very active villain, which I think is fairly unique yeah. among Dungeons & Dragons mythos. Because, um, I mean, Nesnar, for example, I mean, we, we keep coming back to Lost Man of Fandelver because, you know, I know we both played it. Nesnar, he doesn't walk around. The no, black he spider, he, he's just always chilling in his lair. Mm-hmm. And same thing with the dragon. He's just chilling in his lair. Um, now, of course, you can extend that and make them move around, of course. But yeah. um, per the module, they just sit there. They're very passive. And Strahd isn't like that. Yeah. So with that power <laughs> comes great responsibility. <laughs> uh, you really have to be careful that you aren't using it too much, that you aren't breaking your party beyond their limits and i think that's i think it's so cool i think that's you know it's something that um i don't think any other campaign could say they could they they do um and it's it's just it's it's fascinating because i mean you think if 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 you're a party member and i know it's hard to to this is like like third level chess or like three-dimensional chess but if you're if strata is constantly messing with you well, you know, all, most chess is three dimensional. Or, sorry, it was a four D chess with the with yeah. time travel thingy. Yeah, <laughs> but it's you got to think if uh, if Strahd is constantly uh, harassing you, you're doing something right because he wouldn't be giving you that much attention. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, yeah. Well, again, that's you know that's kind of like you got to be thinking on like a meta level at that point, um, which most people are. Most people are like, oh god, he's here. Oh god. Um, but so we we talked a little bit before with the witches and everything about how red is written. Um, Strahd is pretty unbalanced and it's kind of disjointed at certain points. What is a, what is your favorite change that you've made to it? Buster 100% hands down Buster the bust. Oh, which, which one is that? I don't think, I don't think I've seen all your videos. Oh, shame on you. I'm um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so in Van Richten's tower um, now, so Van Richten's tower, it, it in the module as written, it's basically empty. It's a three-floor tower. Is it three or is it four floors? I forget. I think it's four. Um, I think it's four. Okay. So, yeah, I think it's four floors. So you got your, your base level and then your second level, your third level, and then the bedroom up top. Um, the second and third levels basically have nothing in them. And the first level is essentially just where the elevator stops. And that's it. There's nothing there. It is so uninteresting. And so when I was tackling that chapter, I'm like, okay, what can we change? What can we put in here to make it interesting? And it took probably a good six months or more to get to a satisfying answer. Because, I mean, the first iteration of this was creating a whole underground laboratory for Kazan, who was, you know, the -hmm. the builder of this tower. Um, and he was going to be like trapped in a time loop of his own making. And he was going to be like a chrono wizard. Um, and obviously that never, that never you know happened. Um, we went through different other 
variations with, you know, what can we do to the door puzzle? Maybe we can make it like a clock. I kept coming back to this time thing and eventually I, I ditched the whole time thing. And that was very much for the better. And so I stripped the ideas just down to their bare minimum, try to keep it simple. So I'm like, all right, Van Richten has been living in this tower for a while. He's moved out temporarily and Esmeralda's moved in. Okay, what's going to be here? Well, obviously, they're monster hunters. They have supplies. They're going to have to you know, keep their stuff somewhere. Okay, so that's floor one. Floor one's going to be full of crates and you know all their crap. Okay, floor two, which, by the way, has nothing in it in the module. It's just a bunch of trash. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, maybe this was a library. I mean, because it's a wizard's tower. What does a wizard do? What does a wizard have? He's got books. He's got experiments and stuff like that. Right, so right. like, okay, floor two is going to be a library. Floor three, okay. Maybe that's, um, screw it, an observatory. <laughs> so yeah, we turned the, you know, the third floor into this old observatory, which is now broken. And the stars that are on the ceilings, um, they are the, the constellations from whatever homeland these, the players are from. And then, of course, floor four is the bedroom. But back to Buster, um, in addition to making the tower into an, an interesting set piece in and of itself, I wanted to put some meaningful interactivity in there. And, and those two words are central to a lot of the revisions in my guides. Meaningful interactivity. You know, something for the characters to do, someone for them to talk to, etc. And so I'm like, okay. We can't really put a living being in here because Esmeralda is living here. Van Richten was living there. It used to be a wizard. So um, a talking statue. Okay. All right. Maybe it's just a bust. What would I call him? Buster. Buster. (laughs) That's perfect. Um, Yeah. And so, I mean, we did some stuff with Kazan. We made him a composite character with Exathander because there's two liches in this module and that's just one lich too many. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I, you know, I got rid of Kazan and just made it Exathander all the way through. So Buster is, you know, he's the image of Exathander back when he was a man. And he's been left alone in the tower for hundreds and hundreds of years. He's seen this thing fall down around him. He's seen the elements come in. He's seen looters ransack the place. And on the second floor where he's, he's stuck into the wall with like sovereign glue or something. You know, all he's had for, for entertainment are these books that are just consequentially laying open on the floor near him. So he's been reading the same books, the same pages for decades. Maybe a breeze will come through, flip a page here and there. And that's a big thing. But, you know, then along comes, you know, Esmeralda. And she's actually nice to him. She turns the pages and he is smitten. Um, you know, cause he's been reading, you know, this book of, you know, romantic poetry for God knows how long. So that's, that's his whole world is this romance poetry. Aww. And Esmeralda is whole, oh, she's the real deal for him. Um, and she's the one that actually gives him his name. Exithander didn't care. He was just a bust that, you mm-hmm. know, he could talk to and whatnot, bounce ideas off of. So he was never named. And Esmeralda, she's like, all right, we're going to call you Buster. Mm-hmm. That's going to be your name. <laughs> and 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 there we go and you know everybody seems to love buster and i'm i'm kind of jealous because i've never actually gotten to run buster really 
Really? Oh, I could definitely work him into my current one. Um, they've not been to the tower yet. Okay. Um, well, I'd love to hear that how that goes. But yeah, all every group I've heard of, they just like fall in love with Buster. Oh yeah, no, it sounds it sounds really cool. Or, or it sounds super interesting. Um, one of my one of my issues, especially with like the Amber Temple, is there's all this really cool lore about it that you basically players can't really figure out. They'll you know they can never they'll never be able to really know uh, what happened there. Um, unless I mean they, there's I think there's so, uh, someone they can talk to in the Amber Temple, but it's, yeah, Exathender. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, is it? Uh, I thought it was a servant. I don't know. It's been I haven't run the Amber Temple in a while, but sure. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's that it's there's all this really cool lore in Strahd, mm-hmm. and um, it's a shame that some some of it is kind of harder to get to. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's definitely a, a huge amount of stuff that your your party will probably never see, but you know it can definitely inform the world that you create and and what you put before them. Mm-hmm. And so, um, with your greatest, with, with your favorite um, addition you've made out of the way, what do you think is the hardest part of Strahd as written? As written, the hardest part is probably making Irina a likable character. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely you don't get too much to go on with with her character. No, she's definitely a blank slate. Yeah. Um, in in one of the upcoming videos on my channel, we actually are going to talk about Irina and some of the other companions as well. We're going through all of the NPC companions one by one by one, talking about their motivations, uh, how you can gain their trust, the pros and cons, and um, you know, on over on my Patreon, we have some additional information on how to role play these characters, and I really think we've done Irina. Um, a, a bit of justice here because you know your party is thrown into Barovia and then they they go through Death House and then they come into the village of Barovia and then immediately they're like hey here's this woman go take her somewhere hmm. bye yeah her life is in your hands now <laughs> right um, which I mean yeah that kind of worked back in the 70s when Curse of Strahd was you know a one-shot dungeon mm-hmm. um, and Curse of Strahd's adherence to the first edition content, I think, is its biggest weakness. Because yeah. yeah, a lot of it is literally just copy and pasted word for word from this, I think, 1978 adventure. Yeah. Uh, and that blew me away. Yeah. I, I I pulled up the original Ravenloft I6 module, and I'm not gonna lie, I was a little disappointed. Not in I6, but in Curse of Strahd. I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> Basically everything here is a carbon copy, um, especially I I, Irina. It was that, it was that uh, strict to it. I thought it was um, it oh, yeah. expanded a lot, but I guess not. Wow, that's wow. Well, sure. I mean, yes, I it expanded a lot because you know I six only contained the village of Barovia and Castle Ravenloft, and that was it. That's hmm. literally the extent. Um, maybe Zerf Pool Falls was in there because um, you you still had to get a Taraka deck or a Taraka reading. Yeah. But everything else outside Velaki and you know Kresk, that's not there. Yeah, I mean Ravenloft is definitely big enough for like a one shot. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, but you were you were saying um yeah so you you with Irina, I mean when you were running it before yourself, um what did you do to kind of make her likable character? Well, so I made her one kind. Um, mm-hmm. she was very nice to the characters. So when I put my characters into Barovia, I took their crap away. Like 
They went to sleep in an inn and whatever they were not wearing did not come with them. So we had one character in a bathrobe. Another came through naked. (laughs) They didn't didn't have their packs or anything. So Irina, I, you know, maybe she's a bit of a seamstress, you know, that's what noble women do, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they, they, they sew. Um, And so I had her make them packs so that they could carry their stuff. So a bit of an endearing act right there. Yeah, I think that's the, if, I mean, simplistically, I think the best way to make, or one of the easiest ways to make your party like a character is to have that character give them free stuff. Oh, absolutely. Right. And, you know, that psychology extends to the real world. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if, you know, somebody wants you to like them, they're going to, you know, here's a pie, here's some cookies, you know, they'll do something nice and positive towards yep. you. And that same thing goes for NPC characters. And so, I mean, yeah, it's just a, a, a thing of, I wanted to make her feel more impactful than just like, oh, if, if she is gone, the party doesn't have um, ex- an extra body on the field, you know? Um, that being said, her also her red as written stat block is garbage. Whenever I throw her in combat, I give her Ismark stat block, which is a bit better. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I, I definitely agree. That's that's I guess that speaks to a lot of uh, Curse of Strahd as well for me, is I find it hard to give so many different characters um good personalities that are are memorable yeah especially because you sometimes you only see these people for a a short while like oh yeah um like like the abbot you know in in both times i've done once they go see the abbot of saint markovia they don't they don't make the second a second trip back (laughs) and it's he's he's that he's that creepy huh I do, I do like him though. I especially like the the version because um, I did watch your your thing of uh, of the Abbey of Saint Markovia, where he's very he's very disconnected and he's like, you know, you don't need a face. You can still do things without a face. You, you know? do not need to your face to eat. Yeah, it's <laughs> just breathe? like that. And I think that was, I mean, another like, like props to you because that's really good. Um, definitely a, a super super good addition to a otherwise pretty um, pretty bland character that they don't go too hard on no. um, whose lore again is really cool that is not talked about I don't think I don't think you can find out that he was an angel um, uh, until you try to smack him you will you would never know that he is an angel oh yeah um, I mean at that at that point he casts off his his human garb and he's mm. just like oh you gotta die yeah 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 I just, uh, I mean, to, to bring a full circle, I mean, it's, that's, that's kind of the thing that makes um, Curse of Strahd such a, a, a awesome uh, campaign to run. I mean, like I say, I had a, a hard time doing this. It was my first one, but it's easily going to, I think it's going to be my favorite because it gives you so much liberty to do so much. Yeah. I, I've said this before on the Discord server, but Curse of Strahd is basically a, a 250 page writing prompt. Mm hmm. The, the first time I ever messaged you uh, pr- uh, privately was when um, my characters helped Lady Walker overthrow Velaki. The book says that's a thing that can happen, but it says nothing about what actually happens if if that happens. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's totally open to the DM. Like, how does that play out? Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, there's just nothing on this. And so no. you, you helped me craft a, a pretty cool... Um, whole interaction where the town is filled with supporters of her and stuff and the players got to get her out of power too 
Nice. Yeah, my my party just murdered her, and then the next morning, Baron Walker or Baron Volokovich was uh, thrown over the side of the palisade from a noose. Yeah, I mean, basically, if they're both gone, uh, there's just you know, that that's that's all the city needed. Just get them both out. Have anyone else except Isaac Strozny? Anyone else in town is good though. <laughs> Any functioning adult, twenty twenty one. Yeah, for for real. <laughs> um. So to speak on more broader terms, uh, when did you start playing D&D altogether? Uh, so I started playing D&D late 2017. Um, so I've been into role-playing games since, gosh, um, 1999. I was 13 years old. I'm 34 now, pushing 35. Okay. And, you know role-playing games they've they've come into my life they've left my life you know but they always come back and role-playing has been this this role-playing and collaborative storytelling has been this big creative outlet for me you know for the past 21 years yeah and in late 2017 probably around springtime i got the itch again like i really want to sit down and tell a collaborative story and so I looked at my wife and I said, we should try Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> and she looked at me like, what? <laughs> Excuse me? Yeah. Um, awesome, but you know, I, I eventually, you know, I wore down. And a few months later, we got a, a game going with her, myself, and a couple of our close friends. It was around a dining room table. My dungeon master screen was made of just a, a folded bit of like an Amazon shipping box. <laughs> um, That's perfect. And yeah. And we started going through the starter set, Lost Mine of Fandelver. Mm -hmm. And it was a blast. I was hooked on Dungeons and Dragons after that first session. Granted, it only lasted two more sessions because you know, it's, it's just not you know, their kind of game. And that's okay. But for me, it just, you know, here I am. I'm still going. Yeah. Um, so, so that was like, what you see, like you liked role playing games before. What, what did you play before Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, for, you know, it's a, it was a mix of a lot of online stuff. So I started in the original AOL chat rooms um, wow. of, of, of your. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the early 2000s. <laughs> yes. So I started there and, you know, I was terrible. I was a slow typer and I was, you know, an annoying teenager. So, you know, you can imagine what it was like. Very cringeworthy, but I eventually got better. Um, I had some mentors along the way that helped me out with my, my storytelling and descriptions and whatnot. And eventually, you know, some of that transitioned into other online games like uh, Star Wars Galaxies. I played that for maybe four or five years on the role-playing servers and um, that was big for me. I got to play a villain mm. throughout most of that. And that was a lot of fun. And, you know, there was, there was other, you know, chat rooms and message boards that, that came and went in, in that period of time. But those were the big ones for me that, that lasted for years. Yeah. I mean, the, I'm trying to think uh, any role-playing stuff I did when I was younger. And I'm 21 and I remember Roblox was pretty big when that came out. So that was, you know, like nine-year-old Thomas was RPing pretty hard on Roblox back in the day. Okay. 
Gosh, is it that old? I've I've never actually played Roblox. Oh, so. I think it came out in like 2006. I remember being uh like pretty pretty young when it first came out, and everyone was okay. like, "Oh, what is this?" Um, but yeah, it's you know I, same thing, right? I'd always I'd always really liked that uh, sort of world building and making your own story and stuff. Yeah. And around 2016, I th- 2016 or 2015, I had a friend who uh, was super into it. Uh, he didn't have fifth edition though. He had third edition, and I played some of that. And then he upgraded the fifth, and really liked it. And um, I just, you know, I I started learning more and more about it, and I'm pretty comfortable as a DM. I think I prefer being a DM to a player. A hundred percent. Right. I think. I mean, I don't get me wrong though. I do like breaking it up every, you know, once in a while, um, and having like you know being a character in, in a campaign or or a one shot, but uh. I, I'm definitely more uh, in my in my my happy place as a DM. Same here. I've actually only played Dungeons and Dragons uh, once. Yeah. I mean, well, granted, I, I've played one character. It was multiple sessions. I think it was like two or three sessions, but um, I've only played one character, and what, what I, character by was it? by far, I, it was a bard. Um, mm. I actually forget his name, but. Um, we we were being run through Sunless Citadel, and that was a that was fun. I enjoyed it, but I enjoy being a dungeon master a lot more. Yeah, I like I I like being constantly engaged rather than waiting for my turn. Yeah, and I like being able to play all the characters rather than just one. Yeah, it, it's I yeah it's it's, it's it, the engagement is the big thing for me too. I I like to be active for the whole session yeah um i also like making the stories i i mean I, my, my friends say i've got i i'm i'm too creative well they say i'm very creative i think i'm too creative at times where i i'll think of 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 uh like i'll start writing or something and then i will think of something way 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 in advance and i'm stuck on that thing and i'm like i gotta do all this middle stuff and yeah, it gets to a point where I, I sometimes get a little disjointed, but um, I like I like playing a character that um that is my own. Like like it, so in Curse of Strahd, for example, I put in a character um, called Lionel Bennett, who is essentially a Belmont. Um, but he was in there because uh, for the purpose of of being a slight nudge to the party to go to certain places, because um. I feel like that's another problem sometimes is uh, if the party isn't doing certain things, like if they go to like one of their items was in Argenvost. And if, unless they go out exploring or they ask someone at Vlaki about rumors, they don't, uh-huh. they never really hear about Argenvost. Yeah. So, um, you know, Lionel is like, you know, I heard rumors from town about a, a ghost dragon at a haunted mansion. Maybe there's something over there. Um, right. So one of one of my techniques for seeding those little hints is background conversation. So for Argenvost, you know, maybe they're sitting at the inn and then, you know, when there's, you know, you, you give the players an opportunity to talk amongst themselves or mm-hmm. or do their own interactions. But when there's a lull in the conversation, I like to inject these little snippets that they hear in the background. So maybe, you know, two drunkards would uh, be talking in the background. And one of them says, I, I dare you to run up to that haunted mansion over there and nick a sword. 
you come back, I'll give you 50 gold for it. And, yeah. you know, then they've got this idea, oh, haunted mansion. Huh. That's pretty cool. Okay. That's clever. And then they, and then they might ask about that. So, you know, figure it, figure out those ways to give this information in a very mm-hmm. organic way. N- not everything has to come from, you know, Oh, I, I'd like to ask about rumors. You know, maybe they yeah. just overhear something. That would definitely like, yeah. In hindsight, probably would have been the better way to go. Oh, well, since oh, that was like my, my first run of the campaign, uh, I did get, you know, I, I did get better at it for the second one. Um, the, yes, uh, something similar uh, where it was one of the kids who, who told them about it, who was like, you know, Hey, I, you know, I, I, I heard something about her or dad says, if I don't stop, he's going to feed me to the dragon at the haunted mansion or something, something like that. Something, something akin to that, where the kids said it and the players were like, huh, what's this? Oh, they, Hey, there you go. That's perfect. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, yeah, again, I just think it's really cool. You can, it gives you so much freedom to do stuff. Mm-hmm. It's both, it's both a blessing and a curse. Yeah, there's not a lot of handholding, um, but a lot of freedom and a lot of uh, ability to really stretch your wings and express yourself as a as a dungeon master and as a storyteller. Yeah. So another another th- question I've always I, I ask other DMs uh, is when it, when um what is the problem class or problem character that uh, you hate the most? Not hate, but like for for me, um, characters who can fly. And um, uh, barbarians with the uh, great weapon mastery. Those are my those are my problem characters because those guys are just super strong. Do you right. Have anything like that that you would uh, um, your pet peeves? Oh, paladins with divine smite and oh, all sorts of other resistances. Yeah. Yeah. They're very problem. Like I would um, during play testing for the binding of vampire, my brother in law was playing a, a paladin divine smite level 11 all that jazz he's kitted out and i just like i couldn't hit him and yeah. he's just he is just wailing on the aspect of vampire which for the folks at home this is another uh thing i've added in my guide series um and he, he was you know the this aspect of a god only lasted a few rounds against him i'm like okay mm-hmm. all right well maybe it needs to be a little tougher <laughs> Yeah, I, I that's what I had to do. Um, you know, the, the the players don't see damage calculation, but you know, I had to go out there. I had to you know nerf some of the damage, and I think it's it's interesting because the Curse of Strahd has these parts where it's so unbalanced. Like if your characters go to Berez and they try to fight Baba Lazaga, they're just gonna die. She's too yeah. strong. And yeah, generally, yeah, generally if they're a low level, and you know, especially if that house comes into play. Oh yeah, I feel like the fight against Baba Lazaga in her house is harder than the fight against uh, Strahd if he's not in his castle. If he's oh, certainly if he's not in his castle, most definitely. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, Strahd his, Strahd can't throw boulders. His castle is just when he's in his castle, he plays like a poke and run game. Yes, and it's like the the way you really got to get him is is to have is to make use of uh the hold undead that the um mm-hmm. symbol of raven kind gives you my players were not figuring that out they yeah. were not they were like oh he probably has some way to break out of it i'm like well this is no. one of your legendary items i mean right yeah you, you guys worked really hard you got a nice card reading for it come on guys use it <laughs> but um baba lazaga is actually not really that difficult in and of herself um 
I, again, when that house comes into play and starts throwing boulders, then it changes the game a bit. Yeah. But Baba Lazaga herself is kind of a pushover, especially if you have a party with ranged capabilities. Yes, I agree. Because um, the action, she's basically by herself. The action economy is very much against her. And unless those boulders are flying, well, everything's concentrated on her and she's just not going to last that long. Yeah. I mean, I think if she has her, her flying, her floating cauldron or her floating skull, um, that can make things uh, difficult. But, you know, nine times out of 10, if you have a four person party, one of them's going to have some range. Yeah. And the other people are going to be able to throw hand axes or javelins or something. But um, what I do, I do really love uh, Baba Lazaga and the Swamps of Berez. I think it's one of the more interesting parts of uh, Curse of Strahd. Um, and again, I. Oh, I think it's really, really funny that Strahd has no idea who Baba Lazaga is. Like he's never, he's never met her. Right. And, you know, she refers to Strahd as like her baby boy. Yeah, she's like, who's your mommy? Yes. So the players were like, oh, this is Strahd's mother. Uh, Surely if we show him that we killed his mother, you know, he'll, you know, he won't like that. And then they, they went and like, I think they beheaded her and, and, and were like, Strahd, look what we have. And he was like, I have no idea who that is. <laughs> who, the, who the hell is this? Yeah, it was, like, it was literally like Thanos from uh, in, uh, Endgame. He's like, I, I have no idea who you are. I've never seen you before in my life. And it was, I thought that was hilarious. Um, you know, again, I, I wish there was a way for the players to know that that was just Strahd's crazy wet nurse who was blessed right. by the dark powers. Yeah, I, there's, there's really there's nothing there that says, you know, not Strahd's mother um, beyond the fact that maybe they've read the tome. And I mean, even in the tome, there's no indication of who his mom really yeah. is. Um, um, you can put stuff in the tome though. And I really like that about it. You can, you can pretty, I mean, it's, it's got some pages, but you can really put a bunch of stuff. Oh yeah. There if you want to tie some ends. And, and if you're really bold, you just send your players copies of I Strahd. Ooh, I want to read that. I have not read it yet. You know what? It, for a pulp novel, it is actually pretty good. Awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely um, I'll pick it up. Yeah, the 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 war against Aslan, the the sequel to it. I mean, it, it was OK. It was it was decent. But mm-hmm. I Strahd is, is actually a good book, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, I, I love that character so much um just strahd himself it, it's so mm-hmm. so so many like so many levels so many ways to you know portray him um in the, the the you know the book is one of the worst uh ways to if you want to learn how to play strahd and you know make him make him a good villain i do not recommend uh reading what the book says because the book contradicts itself multiple times the the book the book says at the beginning um you know, Strahd is emotionless. He's cold. He doesn't feel anything. And then if you find him, if your fortune says he's in Sergei's tomb, it's like Strahd is draped over his brother's coffin crying and weeping and, and all this other stuff. And it's like... Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's... Coming, you know, as someone who's who's written a very lengthy document and gone over the the module multiple, multiple times, um, I always tend to take a, a real world look at how the book is laid out, how it's produced. Mm-hmm. And one thing to bear in mind is that it is not the work of one person. Um, there's a whole bunch of people that wrote this and they all were each assigned a piece. Oh, that's like, interesting. That's a, like, that's a different way to look right. at it. Yeah. 
you know, like one person wrote the introduction, another person wrote, you know, aspects of Castle Ravenloft. Granted, that was copied, that was, you know, Tracy and Laura Hickman in 1978. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, another person wrote, you know, the Amber Temple. And it's the editor's job to look over all of this and make sure it's cohesive. So the fact that there are, you know, Strahd is cold and emotionless in the introduction and then emotional in the castle, or that um, there's two liches, there's Kazan, and then there's Exethanter. Mm-hmm. What These are things that, you know, you would imagine would be caught in editing, right? Because yes. the, the writers don't talk to each other. Yeah. They probably don't know who each other is. Um, so the marching orders, you know, they come from the overall designer, um, Chris, and then the writers do their thing. It all comes back. And then the editor is supposed to make sure it gets turned into one cohesive whole, which obviously doesn't always happen because <laughs> we do have these contradictions, even in how Strahd became a vampire, which has given rise to the, um, the, the bloody wars of the vestiges are the dark powers or the vestiges and the dark powers are separate. Yes. Um, I was going to ask you was yeah. um, about that. Cause that's, yeah. that's another thing. Do you, do you think the, or the sarcophagi, the sarcophagi, the vestiges, what did you play those as the dark powers or did you play the dark Absolutely not. As, yeah, me too. I play the dark Absolutely powers not. as this. So it's always around. Like, yes. Like so, God. so as you can imagine, I've read a lot of Ravenloft lore even from older editions. And I'm very much in the camp that the dark powers and the vestiges are separate. And the reason that these two camps exist is because of uh, a lack of editing. Yes. Or, or not necessarily lack of editing, but you know, a lack of attention to detail in that process. That makes sense. Because the, the, the introduction of the module says one thing, and then the introduction to the chapter Amber Temple says something completely different. Um, so I, both interpretations are valid. I just think my interpretation is more valid because, yeah. you know, I, I rely on that, that, that stuff from older editions where the dark powers, they're this nebulous force. They're unnamed, yeah. unknowable, uncountable, amorphous, amorphous. And then the vestiges themselves, they are, they're actual things. They're named. You can count them. They have, yeah. um, limited power and potential. They are they are very much less than the dark powers. Yeah, and they're. I mean, I always figured they're the the dark gifts they bestow are just the dark powers acting through them. Um, sure. In a way, but um, I mean, if you read like the the Dungeon Master's Guide and you talk and you read about the Shadow Fells, it says the Shadow Fells are home to the dark powers, which would mm-hmm. make me again assume it's not just these vestiges. Um. Real quick, I do have a question about about the Amber Temple. When when you ran your players there, did they take any of the any of the dark gifts? Um, no. In fact, <laughs> I I I actually um I did not actually offer them through the sarcophagi. What I did is I offered them through dreams well before they ever got to the Amber Temple. Mm. So in in my guide, the Amber Temple is leaking. So the the Amber Enclave, which is what I call the the this guild of wizards that built the Amber Temple, you know, they they took it upon themselves to take this evil out of the world and basically put it in prison. And so they built the Amber Temple, which was a monumentally terrible idea because obviously you know what happened happened. Yeah, focused um, darkness in one spot. Right. 
Exactly. And so, you know, they all went mad and, you know, killed each other. And, you know, some of them transformed and the, the wards and seals that were meant to keep this prison closed have been wearing down. You know, magic isn't permanent in, mm-hmm. in, in my mind. So the vestiges that they've been reaching out as much as they can, which is not much, and touching the minds of various Barovians. And they come to them in dreams and they offer them, you know, to, to grant them a wish or, you know, whatever. And in the case of my characters, they're like, hey, will you be my champion? And they come to them in the, in the guise of someone friendly. Like for, for my cleric, she was a cleric of Eldath, the goddess of peace. And so I had her wake up in a dream. Um, she crawls out of her tent. And just the, the forest that they were camping in is just covered in ash. And then this very familiar looking figure. I didn't say it was Eldath. I said it looked familiar to her. Um, was sitting there. And you know she, in the way that this figure spoke it implied that it was Eldath, um, but again, never said it was. And basically I twisted the whole idea of peace is like, well, you know, if there are no people, it's really peaceful. Oh man. Yeah. So that's good. Bur- burn them all. Yeah. And you know, will you be my champion? And the cleric accepted. And so she woke up in the morning with just, she's just covered in just charred black skin and she has this fire ability. Um, and, you know, these, these dark gifts, they, they come with their own caveat that I, I've written into mm-hmm. the guide as well, beyond what is in the module. And that allows them to get this, the experience and exposure to these vestiges and this idea that there is something out there besides Strahd um, yeah. much earlier than, than the Amber Temple, which is, is almost endgame content. Yeah, no, I, yeah, that's. I feel like um, what Amber Temple's like, like suggested level nine. So it's um, yeah, it, it's where I put the Sun Sword in um, the first run. You get the Sun Sword, then you fight Strahd. But um, when I did it, I, I I did the Amber Temple pretty um, pretty raw, and my players figured they would have assumed like, hey, this is where Strahd got his powers. Strahd is evil. There's evil things here. Probably shouldn't take mess with the gifts they give. They were they were arguing about who was going to take which gift. They were like, "Oh, I want this one and this one. You got the last one. I want this one." So by the end, um, they were all super cursed, and I was like, "Wow, I can't believe this." Yeah, you know that's that's one of the things. It's interesting to see and read about, but from a logical perspective, I've never really understood that. Like, you're a group of heroes. You're going into this hole in the ground. Yeah. Here are these black wisps that are whispering evil things into your ear. Insert would you like guy? <laughs> like would would you like a lollipop? No. It's, it's like don't accept. Don't accept candy from these things. Yeah, especially when you go when they find the one coffin in the final room. It's like, oh, this is the this is the gift of the of the vampire. And right. it's like it's like yes no this is these this is what made Strahd crazy is he took too many of these bad boys well he was crazy right. before but you know he took yeah. too many of these things and and I was like wow I just I never you know that that your party's never gonna do exactly what you think they'll do but I no. was like wow I never thought you guys would have came into this place and just started taking curses left and right right 
Yeah, like I, I know your behavior can be unpredictable, but I never knew your decision making capabilities was yeah. this poor. They were like, oh, we, we're going to need these things to, to, to fight straw. And I'm like, no, you've got fortunes telling you the things you're going to need to fight straw. None of these things said, hey, take sarcophagus curses. Yeah. Said, Thankfully, find the, sword, find the amulet. I, and go have I mean, fun. Thankfully, my party had had a decent amount of sense, um, at least I think. And then, you know, of course, I basically tricked them into accepting these powers, which which is a very vestige thing to do. But to just go into the Amber Temple and saying, yep, I want that dark power is just a weird thing to me. Yeah. And, and some of them are, I mean, to to its uh, benefit or to the um, to its favor, some of the dark gifts are pretty dang good. The one oh, yeah. that gives you true sight in exchange for like you now are obsessed with death and waiting for the end. Um, unless your players are going to yeah. have really good RPers, that's not much of a detriment. Or or the one that gives you just 30 extra health and the drawback is your face is now covered in black fur. I'm like, come on. What, is it? what about the yeah. one where it's like you, you, you can now f- fly for five feet and every day you've got to make a constitution saving throw and if you fail, you die forever. I'm like, now that's that's a bit more cursed than I'm, than I'm thinking of. Yeah, the the dark powers really need or not dark powers, but the dark gifts really need a lot of work, Um, which is why I came up with my dark gift system. So you you get a bane or you get a boon and then you get a bane. The the boon is the the power that is bestowed upon you. Yeah, sure. You can cast cone of cold at will. Yeah, not a problem. Hmm. But every and the the bane, of course, is, you know, something that happens to your character you know black fur or icy cold skin or whatever something that's noticeable but on top of that and this is not known to the characters whenever they use their boon their power um a piece of their soul is taken away um they don't know that when they accept it only after the first time that they use it do they get a hint that something's wrong so I, i tell them all right it feels like a piece of you has been scooped out you feel a bit more hollow and then on every subsequent usage, I have them roll a D100. And the DC starts at one, and then it just climbs every single time. I think it climbs like by like three or five or something like that. And if they roll under that DC, they lose the power. So they lose their boon. They keep the bane. So they're always disfigured. And they can no longer be resurrected by normal means. Oh, wow. No, that's really, that's really good. Because their soul is condemned yeah. to this vestige. It basically becomes food. I'm, def- I'm, gonna, I'm definitely going to use that in my uh, my current group. That's really good. That's super good. Um, I, I have done a thing. One of, the, one of my players is a um, an Asimar. They live to be like 160 or something. And they took the one that well basically I'm, I'm doing it sort of similar thing to you where it's it's affecting their mind it's affecting their soul um but because he's gonna live so long uh, it's gonna affect him the most um and i am running sort of like a sequel to strahd i'm connecting it to another module but i can explain that later that's you know um but so to um to wrap up this 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 part um about like curse of strahd real quick my final question is: uh, the end of Curse of Strahd is kind of um, a, a sad one, not a sad one, but a, a unfortunate one for the players. If uh, 
if right if you do it right as written where it says you know the dark powers they feed off of Strahd's pain too too much so after the players leave Barovia eventually or essentially resets Strahd comes back and the cycle starts anew mm-hmm. do you make any changes to how that ends or do you keep oh absolutely that? no um so it, it obviously can end like that if the party just leaves so the ending we've redone that with the binding of vampire so going back to the amber temple for just a second um one of the the amber sarcophagi is broken and there's no nameplate or anything you don't know who it is and then in the big main chamber there is another sarcophagi that contains vampire who is presumably who gave Strahd his, his vampirism. Mm-hmm. Well, in my guide, I've actually swapped those. So Vampire was in the broken sarcophagi. He's not there anymore. Strahd busted him out. And then the, the big, the big sarcophagus is now empty. It's, it's waiting for some, you know, something the wizards never got around to filling it because they killed themselves. Um, but Vampire is free. And he's basically uh, feeding off all the souls that Strahd is killing. Okay. So, you know, if you want to, you know, think of Strahd in terms of a warlock, he's not a warlock, but mm-hmm. um, in terms of warlock, Vampire would be his patron, yeah. you know? So what we've done in that case is at the end of the module, once Strahd is killed, um, it should be made clear that that's not the end. Um Vampire will bring him back because Strahd is this big old siphon of souls, and Vampire doesn't want to give that up. Yeah. So he's gonna he's gonna resurrect his his guy, you know. And if you really want to free Barovia, you've got to put Vampire back where he belongs in the Amber Temple. And that's this whole binding ritual that we've created and play tested, and hopefully it's a lot of fun to to do this. Because you know you've got a you've got a bit of time after killing Strahd to go and gather these material components throughout the land. So mm-hmm. you know it, you, you go from this huge knockdown drag out battle in Castle Ravenloft, and then you get to do some normal quests, get some breathing time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then then we use the standing stones because you know they've really got no explicit purpose in the module. So we use the standing stones as this summoning site for Vampire. And you've got, you've basically, you, you can't kill a God, but you've got to survive him. Yeah. And if you can survive him, then you can lock him away into prison. Exactly. You and, can't, yeah, that's yeah. really cool. And, and only then is Barovia safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's like, so have you released that yet? Or is that on your channel? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I'm definitely going to take, uh, take some notes from that. I did. I did something um, a bit different with mine, but I can. I'll. That's for another time. We're almost out of time here. So, um, the last part, the last thing I want to ask you is, um, where do you plan on going with with all this stuff in the future? With all uh, defined stuff your, in this your, case, your channel and your um, gotcha. your, your Strahd content and stuff. Sure. Yeah. Um, so Strahd, Curse of Strahd proper is basically done. Okay. Um, we're, we're going over all of the allies and whatnot, but the actual guide content is finished. Uh, we are content complete. At this point, I'm compiling everything together into one document and I'm going over, I'm proofing it. I'm doing all the formatting and, and you know, making sure it all looks good. 
And then it's going to be released on DMs Guild as an updated version. So, you know, people can buy it and they yeah. can get it all in just one, one package. Yeah. Um, and then beyond that, we're going to take a look at Ravenloft as a whole, uh, starting with Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, which is coming out on May 18th. Hey, so yeah. There's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in there, I think. Um, and I know a lot of the books that have been coming out recently have, have not been uh, released to huge fanfare. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, you know, knocking them down a little bit here and there. And, you know, I, I kind of hope the book is mediocre at best because that means I've got a lot to do. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Good. Yeah. And um, <laughs> so good. beyond that, yeah. So beyond that, um, you know, we want to come up with uh, a lot of video ideas to help entertain and inform people and uh, grow our channel that way. We're also releasing the deck of many quests. Uh, you can actually buy that online on Indiegogo now. Uh, physical version will hopefully be shipping around August, September timeframe. I'm getting the paperwork signed on that today and then sending over a buttload of money to the printers uh, to get those made. Awesome. Um, and, you know, just growing the business from there. Lunch Break Heroes is, is, is you know, it's going to be a big thing. Yeah, I'm excited. I got you while you're still, you know, uh, getting up there. Um, so, again, thank you for being on a, like, a lot. I, this is super awesome. Like I said, I'm watching your stuff and it really helped me out. So it's a huge honor to be able to talk to you like this and nerd out with well, you for an hour. Hey, hey, no problem. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. My name is Steve from Lunch Break Heroes, and this has been the Power of Four.